so Josh and I have a four-year-old, and man, I'm so glad we had a third kid so I could enjoy the age. I don't know if this makes sense, but with my first kid, I was terrified, and the second one, I was just catching up, and I feel like with the third, it's like, oh, this is fun. So he's four, right, babe? Do you feel that way? Um, he's four, and he's just so ridiculously cute right now, isn't he? He just, and he says the cutest things, and this is where people like, make sure you write that down, and I go, oh, cool, come and follow me around and take care of that. I need like a scribe to catch all the cute things, because who has time for that? Anyway. This week, he said to me, Mommy, um, when I'm a man, I want to be a Lego designer. I want to work at Red Robin so I can make mac and cheese for everyone. <laughs> and I want to fly a big green plane uh, because we like to go to the Renton Airport and watch the Boeing planes take off. So in his mind, the best planes are the green ones. Well, they're just wrapped in their protective. We, we set him straight. We explained to him that that's a plane he'll, well, he could fly those. Yeah, anyway. I love it because aren't the dreams of little children just awesome? <laughs> and we love it because it's ridiculous, right? But we love it also because it's possible. He actually could be those three things if he wanted to. And it's kind of cool, that dreaming thing that we have inside of us. Um, and I also love watching um, kids grow up and discover reality and then finding a dream that works in reality because that's really cool too. Josh and I were in youth ministry for many, many years and we got to watch kids grow and discover their giftings and, say, and see needs in the world that they could meet with their gifts and it's cool and uh, also sometimes hard <laughs> when you realize you cannot be a princess, I'm sorry. You know, or whatever. Some dreams have to die, and it's hard. But I remember when um, I remember the day when a dream entered my heart, and I saw clearly a vision for my life. So I was at university studying uh, marketing and public relations, and in my spare credits, I did philosophy classes. And I was in this philosophy class, watching humans determine what humanity should be. You know, anyone here like a philosophy? You did a couple philosophy classes. So you understand what I'm talking about. There's this thing that we like, and we just talk about everything. And in that moment, I, I just had this like clarity. I want to tell people about Jesus because this is meaningless. This class I'm in has no meaning. And I, it just was this, epic thing for me. So when I graduated university, I went and found a Bible college, which at the time were few and far between in Australia, because they're not as common as they are here in the US. And, and I found this Bible college, and I went to study theology, and then I saw Yentl. Anyone seen the movie Yentl? And I was watching that movie, and I'm doing theology classes, and I was like, this is what I want in my life. And then a, a classmate said to me one day, um, a really dear friend said, um, when you talk about the Bible, it comes alive to me, and I understand it in ways that I didn't before. And you should always talk about the Bible. Like, this is what you should do. And it felt like the dream I'd had in my heart in that philosophy class just got confirmed that I might have a gifting to do it as well, because that's always good. It's nice to have a dream, but if you can't sing, American Idol won't take you. You know what I mean? So. I mean, you make good TV, but it's also very sad. 
So, you know, for me, it was like this moment, it was like a confirmation, and it really just set me on a path, and it's been my passion. Um, That was 24 years ago when I finished Bible college and really knew this is what I want to do. Now, at the time, there were not a lot of paid ministry jobs in Australia. Um, I think the U.S. is kind of unique in this regard, but I I've always been a passionate member of the body of Christ. And whether I'm on staff or not, I'm passionate to build the body. It's just part of this passion and this path that I'm on, and I just love it. And so I've been doing that for like 24 years. And plus that, I mean, before that, um, (laughs) I was teaching Sunday school when I was like eight. Like, you couldn't keep me away, right? So no one wanted to run the bookstore. I ran the bookstore. I was 10. So like... (laughs) Church, I just, I'm all about the church. It just is a thing in my heart. And it just made sense that this is what my life is all about. And then I got really sick uh, about four and a half years ago. Um, And some of you know my story, but I was having huge migraines every day, and I was in bed for a year and a half, and then slowly clawing my way (laughs) back into life since then, and God's been really faithful in healing me slowly, 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 but day by day, the fact that I'm even standing here able to talk, because I couldn't even come into this room because every sound and light triggered, and I couldn't even get in a car, like the days that I had to go to the doctor's appointments and my neurology appointments um, were the worst, remember that, honey, It it just was a brutal, brutal time of my life, but I'm so grateful, I'm like, he's healing me, it's amazing, the problem is, Um, My brain is really struggling. It's really broken. I used to be very sharp-minded, and now it feels like my brain is, like, fuzzy and dull. And um, it's affected my personality because chronic pain um, changes you. And um, things that I was really good at before, I can't do anymore. And if you've talked to me in the last four years, you may have noticed. Um, The next time you talk to me, I act like we've never met. Uh, It's because every time I have a migraine, it wipes my short-term memory. And so I have these big black holes where stuff just disappears. And um, thank goodness I have a very patient husband because he'll literally say, you said this. And I have no memory of saying it, and I have no memory of thinking it, and I have no memory of even owning the thought at all. I'm like, I would not have said that. And so it's been a very weird time in my life. And Kurt and I have been talking about um, ministry and preaching and all the things that I've been passionate about my whole life. And I'm feeling a bit um, unable to do it anymore. I've actually watched some of the sermons I used to preach, and I'm like, holy moly, I was really good at that. The way I just like piece stuff together, I don't even remember how I did that. Like I don't, I used to pull from the Bible, books of the Bible now that I have no memory of. And I have to, I was, <laughs> this morning Josh was like, how are you feeling about today, babe? And I go, well, you know, I know I ran through it last night, but I've forgotten. <laughs> it's just this weird, weird thing. And so I said to Kurt, you know what? Let's just let me go. I don't need to do this anymore. If I'm not good at this, if it's not my gifting anymore, maybe it's not my calling. Maybe it's over. It's okay, right? But as you can see, it doesn't feel okay. 
feels like, you guys, that God had set me on a path and my path has disappeared. And I don't know where to walk. I don't know who I am. I don't know what to do. Now, we are not what we do. And I know that. I know that. But when you've got a passion in your heart and a vision and something changes, it's just weird. And I don't know if you have, excuse me, if you have anything. (laughs) Thanks, friend. (coughs) I don't know if you have anything in your life that's super discouraging. Maybe it's health. I know a lot of people are dealing with chronic health stuff. Maybe it's um, your job's not working out. You've lost your career, and now what? Or maybe a relationship has just ended and you didn't see it coming. Or you've lost a loved one. Or something's happened in your life and you no longer have the giftings that you had to do the things you felt passionate about. Maybe it's addiction that keeps you a slave and you can't get free of it. You know what I mean? I think we're all wrestling with things that are just deeply discouraging and we think, what do I do now? What am I supposed to do? Well, we're in this Genesis series, and uh, I was really drawn to the story of Joseph. And this is a story that many of us know really, really well. Um, And I actually kind of had to fight the preach team to even let me do it today. Because as you'll see, it's not a story that really fits with the flow of everything else. But as I was prepping it, in the past few weeks, I've had a major increase of migraines again. And, um, and what I feel like the Lord has said to me, and I think he's saying to all of us, is this story of Joseph, we needed to come back around to it. We need to look at it again, because your father has something to talk to you about. Those places of discouragement, your father wants to talk to you about those. Is that okay? Okay. And so, um, Michelle Abling is praying. Thank you, Michelle. I deeply value your sisterhood. Father God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this message that you have brought to Justine, that you have entrusted her with to bring to us. Lord, I pray that she would have the grace to clearly communicate your heart to us. Whatever it is you have to say to us, we would have ears to hear. Mm. Lord, I pray that today, through this message, you would heal bodies and minds, you would restore relationships, you would break chains and revive dreams, that we would turn to you and make you the Lord of our lives. Father God, I lift up all the churches that attended the recent uh, Foursquare International Convention. I thank you for your favor over that gathering. I pray that your favor would continue on uh, the new denomination president. And Lord, bless your body that we would not be siloed into denominations, but that we would be the global body of Christ. So I pray your blessings on each one here today that we would have ears to hear you and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. <clears throat> so um, the story of Joseph is the last 13 chapters of Genesis. 
What's interesting about that is that the author of Genesis gives more time to Joseph than any other single character that we've learned about. So think about how of a big deal that is, considering we're talking about Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Joseph has more space given to him in the book of Genesis than all of them. Um, it's also interesting to note that in the New Testament, Joseph is mentioned like once, and then there's like a psalm about him as well, and that's it. Compared to the, name, the amount of times that Abraham, Noah, like they're all mentioned a lot, right? So this is an interesting thing, that Joseph would be given so much time. Also, Joseph is not in the lineage of Christ. So lineage means like ancestry, right? And we know that Jesus came through the ancestry of Genesis. We see it all plotted out. Joseph is not in that. Judah is the brother who is in the lineage of Christ. And Judah does some weird junk. But that's okay, because God uses people who sometimes do weird junk. Thank you, Jesus, right? So why all the fuss about Joseph? I think our father included it in the book of Genesis. A lot of details. We're going to go through a lot of details today. Because we needed to know this story. So are you ready for a quick read? You ready for it? Okay. Here we go. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. You're going to notice that I'm splicing verses together to try and, because it's 13 long chapters, okay? So you'll watch the numbers kind of flick. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Why? Last week we talked about Jacob. Jacob wanted to marry Rachel. He got tricked into marrying. And then he also married well, he got these other like servant girls as well. This is not God's plan. Multiple wives is not God's plan, Jacob. So why, <laughs> why was Joseph Jacob's favorite? Mother was Rachel, the one he loved. Keep that in mind. Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them and they couldn't say a kind word to him. Who were these brothers? Children of? Not Rachel. Okay, we all know what it is to have a father's love or to not have a father's love, don't we? One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon, Joseph had another dream. This time... Dot, dot, dot. We don't have time. But there's another dream. You can read it later. Okay. Um, this time he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers, and his father scolded him. It's a strange reaction. What kind of dream is that, he asked. And Joseph's like, I don't know. I dreamed it. 
I didn't create it. Like, I don't, I don't know what to say. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Jacob wrestled with God. Last week, we learned all about it. Jacob was given a new identity, Israel. If there should have been a family of faith, it should have been this one. And when the Holy Spirit brought dreams, the family would have been like, tell me the dream. Because we're a faith people, and we expect God to speak to us. Because God wrestled with our father. So we're all in. Tell us your dream. We're going to lean in with you prophetically. Seek the Lord for it to come to pass. I mean, shouldn't this have been how this panned out? Instead, his dad gets all irate with him. Oh, so you have a dream from God? I mean, what? Also, I've heard it said that Jacob deserved, sorry, Joseph deserves everything he gets in the rest of the book because he was foolish in bragging about the dream God had given him. That is not true. That is ridiculous. If you think about all the stupid things our forefathers did in Genesis and God still blessed and blessed and honored and favored and blessed, and we think that just because a 17-year-old shared a dream that that was foolish and then he deserved... Did you know what I'm saying? Joseph is not in the wrong here. He had a dream from the Lord and he shared it with his family of faith. Excitedly. I mean, I'm sure Joseph wasn't trying to make his brothers more bad. Who has brothers? And you know, you don't want to do things to make your brothers more mad. Right, Jenny? Right. She's got a lot of brothers. All right. Later, Joseph comes and visits the guys, the brothers, as they're dealing with flocks. Are you ready to move on to that? So picture them. They're out in a pasture, far away from home. And in fact, it takes a while for Joseph to get there, but you can read that. So here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Excellent. Um, but when Reuben, one of the brothers, heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. Well, that's a little bit of hope. A secret helper. <laughs> I'm sure he was also afraid of his brother's anger. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful uh, robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders, it's interesting, Ishmael, Isaac and Ishmael, going to Egypt. Judah, so this is the lineage of Christ, this is the great, 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 great of Jesus. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up that crime. So awesome. Um, instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the traders came by, uh, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. It's happened another time, hasn't it? And the traders took him to Egypt. 
Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in the blood, and they sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. (laughs) What in the world? (laughs) This kid gets a dream from the Lord, and then his brothers try to kill him and then sell him into slavery instead. If you are Joseph right now, How are you feeling? This is not the path the dream kind of described, is it? I think I would have been overwhelmed with fear and confusion. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Yahweh was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that Yahweh was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. To a teenager? That's pretty profound. And there's a comfort in this, isn't there? That in Egypt, as a slave, Yahweh was with him. He hasn't been forgotten. He's not in obscurity. He is seen and he is known That's hopeful, isn't it? So maybe those brothers didn't mess up God's plan after all. And things are good. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, Yahweh began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't have to worry about a thing. That's the kind of favor of God I would like to have wherever I go. (laughs) What about you? Your boss loves you because you make everything run better? Because of the favor of God? Because up to this point, you guys, he was like an apprentice shepherd. Sometimes he tended his father's flocks. How on earth could he run a business? Administrative oversight? That's cool. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one was around when he went to do his work. 
She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding. Joseph tore himself away, and he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. So when she saw she was holding the cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants, Look, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to, here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. I thought Yahweh was with him. If you are Joseph, in this moment, what are you thinking and feeling? Abandoned? Forgotten? Betrayed and turned against? Not only was he like falsely accused, but he had done the right thing. He'd been a man of integrity. He'd been a man of godliness. Why would God allow this to pan out? And if you're Joseph and you're now in prison, you were a slave, okay? Now you're in the prison where Pharaoh chops heads off. This is a demotion, right? <laughs> this is not a good thing. This feels like Satan trying to rob his life. But Yahweh was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. That was not Satan trying to rob Joseph's life. Yahweh made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. I've heard that's a good thing to do. Become a favorite of the prison. Becca Joe, it's true, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we watch movies where this is a thing. There was no token prison talk here. I was not. Anyway. Okay. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. This is interesting, guys. And over everything that happened in the prison. How did he learn to do that? Well, he'd just administrated the part of his business and household. So he knows how to run things. Probably not many other prisoners in that prison had that level of training and experience. Probably not even the prison warden. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. Yahweh was with him and caused everything he did to succeed, except for defending himself against Potiphar's wife. <laughs> some success, some not success, do we feel? All right, sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. This is easy to do, BT dubs. Pharaohs get mad really easily. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, so he put them in prison. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. They each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them, and they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. This is what the dream means after they told them. 
Joseph said, within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. Please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. This could be his out, right? Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place, for I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison and I did nothing to do to deserve it. I did nothing to deserve it. Pharaoh's, oh, and also I've cut out the section of the other one, the baker, his was about him being killed. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later and he prepared a banquet for his officials and staff. He restored the chief cupbearer to his former position, um, but he forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. (laughs) Where's God's favor? Where? (laughs) This could have been his out. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed. So we are at 13 years now, approximately, from when Joseph had the dream at 17. He's going to be 30 when this story ends. 13 13 years is a long time. (coughs) Excuse me. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams. So he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told them his dreams, none of them could tell him what they meant. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today, I've been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago, you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night, we each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning, and there was a young Hebrew man with us in prison, and everything happened just as he predicted. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means, but I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dreams. Joseph responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. These are all the details. We're going to cut them short. The next seven years will be prosperous. Afterwards, there will be famine. So great will this famine be that even the memory of the good years will be erased. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away. Guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or as wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Take that dream that he had as a 17-year-old boy and put it on steroids, and then you've got this. Right? 
this story ends really well. Because after this, there is plenty, and then there is famine, and in the end, Joseph gets to save his family from starvation. And it just ends so beautifully, doesn't it? And the family gets moved to Egypt. And God did it by taking Joseph in the back door. I don't believe there was a better way or actually another way to get Joseph to where he ended up. Because you can't just march into Egypt and be like, I'm here, add me to your staff, Pharaoh. (laughs) Tell me another way. There's no other way. Right? My question is, how did Joseph endure the 13 years? There's no mention of lost hope or fear or anger at God. And, And... Yes, that we know of, right? However, can we just think about the rest of the Genesis accounts? Is God ever secretive when his people fail? No. If Joseph had been in fearful, overwhelmed angst, we would know about it. What I see is a guy who just was faithful wherever he was. If I had been in prison and people had had dreams, I would have been in the fetal position in the corner crying that God had abandoned me and I would never have been available to help people interpret their dreams. (laughs) Anyone else? Joseph is as steady as a rock. How is that possible? I just feel like he's the same guy. The same guy that had those dreams and just was joyfully... Uh, vocal about it, when he was in the cistern and when he was in slavery and when he was running Potiphar's house and then when he was falsely accused and then he was in prison and then he was administrating the prison and then he was just faithful with two guys helping them with their dreams and then he was helping Pharaoh run the whole land and then he was bringing his family into protection. This is the same guy. I don't see a roller coaster of emotions and I also don't see him doing better in times of favor and worse in times of bad, right? There's just this steadiness about him. And you guys, I have to tell you, I want what he has. I don't see it in Abraham. I don't see it in Isaac. I don't see it in Jacob. Right? What is Joseph's secret? (laughs) We need it. Your place of discouragement, my place of discouragement, we need this, don't we? So here's the end when Joseph's family comes to asking for grain and Joseph finally reveals who he is because they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them right away. This is what he says to them. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt, but don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one 
who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. Do you see this? It was God who sent me here. God has sent me. It was God who sent me here, not you. Joseph knew something. Then, after burying Jacob, this is years later, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Still worried about what they did, right? Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers. Actually, is this true? I don't even know. Are they just making this up now? It's very convenient, isn't it? Please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin is in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. They didn't get it. Joseph had already explained this to them, right? Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. There's the dream. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. And so he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. The one thing his brothers did at the beginning, right? Never spoke a kind word. This is profound. We know the verse that says, For God works all things for good for those who are called according to his purposes, right? But there's a, there's a subtext I think we work into there where he works all things for good. So that person who intended to hurt you, God's gonna flip it and make it okay, right? Or this terrible tragedy that's happened, out of ashes, God will make something beautiful. It's almost like, P.S., God just noticed what happened to you and he'll clean it up. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? But that is not the God we have. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Potiphar's wife's accusation positioned Joseph where God wanted him. How else would he get into the royal prison? It's like, you know, how do you get into a castle through a secret gate? That kind of a thing. This was a secret gate. Potiphar's wife was the door for the secret entrance. For, do you know what I'm saying? We would think that's the enemy. I'm just thinking it's not the enemy at all. <laughs> Joseph lived sent. His circumstances didn't affect what he knew to be true, that Yahweh had sent him, and Yahweh could do whatever he wanted to Joseph's life, and Joseph was fine with that. Mind-blowing. It's such a deep challenge to me. He was not lost. He was not forgotten. He was being prepared. Psalm 105, 
Yahweh called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. It was preparation. Then Pharaoh sent for him and set him free. The ruler of the nation opened his prison door. Joseph was put in charge of all the king's household and he became ruler over all the king's possessions and he could instruct the king's aides as he pleased and teach the king's advisors. Then Israel arrived in Egypt. Jacob lived, as a, Jacob lived as a foreigner in the land of Ham and the Lord multiplied the people of Israel until they became too mighty for their enemies. What is Joseph's story setting everything up for? What's the next story? Moses. Why were the people of Israel slaves in Egypt? Because of Joseph. Because of God. Moving, they, you guys, Joseph was living in Canaan in the promised land. Have you guys pieced this together? They were in the promised land. Then they need to be rescued from famine, and so God leads them to Egypt, and he uses the systems and prosperity of Egypt to preserve his people. It became a bondage, so then God could display the freedom that he gives us through Jesus and who brings us to the promised land. It's phenomenal. It's the greatest setup of all time, right? We need this story. It is the best story we have that describes our spiritual journey, isn't it? <laughs> All the people played a part. The evil intent of his brothers, Potiphar's wife, the cupbearer forgetting him for two more years. These were all pivotal in timing, weren't they? Joseph lived like this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. If the Bible was around, I feel like that would have been Joseph's like, theme verse. <laughs> this was written after Joseph. But doesn't that perfectly describe this guy? His mind was stayed on him. He had perfect peace. That has been absent in my life, guys. Because when pain flares up, I get terrified that I'm going backwards. I can't go back. I can't go back to how sick I was. It's a terror to me. And because of that, because of my fear, I don't have that perfect peace of trusting the Lord. Does that, you hear what I'm saying? What about you in your place of discouragement or fear? Your place of lack or loss? Do you need some of this in your life? He also knew he was part of a much bigger plan. This is the only time Joseph's mentioned in the New Testament. Hebrews 11, it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would lead, leave Egypt. He knew he was part of a bigger plan. He knew that the dream he had as a 17-year-old was not the be-all and end-all of his life. He knew he was just a part of something bigger, right? Yep. 
He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. This leader of Egypt was never Egyptian. The wealth was not the thing he wanted. Being a part of God's plan is what he wanted, right? And we are just like Joseph. This is Jesus' prayer for his disciples before he died. He's praying to Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. We are sent ones, just like Joseph. This is the day that Jesus was resurrected. Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Father sent Jesus, and Jesus is sending you. You are, you are today's Joseph. I am today's Joseph. It's not my path that matters. It's that Yahweh is my moving one. He moves me, right? I've been feeling so discouraged about losing my path about not being the person I was, about not being able to do the things I'm passionate about. When I look at Joseph's life, I see this guy being faithful in his abilities and in God's favor exactly where he was. The path changing doesn't change a thing. I don't know why I forgot it. (laughs) How easily we forget it, don't we, friends? Something happens and it seems to derail our lives and we say, God, where is your favor? And it's just like Potiphar's wife or it's just like a cupbearer forgetting about us. It's, it's not an attack, although those do happen. Put on the whole armor of God, let's be clear, right? But now I feel like we're in the story of Joseph for now because we need to hear it now. If you are feeling off the path, if you are feeling that God forgot you, if you're feeling like circumstances have crushed your dream, if you're not seeing his hand like you thought you would, but you're seeing pain points instead, I want to encourage you that Yahweh is ascending God. Yahweh is moving his people to be in the right place at the right time, exactly who they need to be for the role he needs them to fill. Right? Amen. Today, even with my brain issues, I am exactly who it needs me to be. We have to be faithful in the places he puts us with whatever he's given us in that moment. It could very well be 
that I was sent to the neurologist's office. And I was sent to the places that he's taken me. And I've been wrestling and pushing up away from it, just not wanting it anymore, right? And I also believe that God allowed me to have a flare-up of symptoms the past couple weeks because I'm prepping a sermon. Because <laughs> he's good. And he's making me what I need to be for today, for right now. Joseph's story is my story. It's your story. I just wonder if we need a reminder that we are sent. And I think we need to have a moment that we can hold on to, like a memory of this moment. Joseph had those dreams, right? And he knew there was something that just anchored him because of God's presence in those dreams. We need that. That's the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to close right now with communion and prayer. If you don't feel sent, maybe you did at one point and it's felt like your path disappeared like mine. Maybe you've never known it. Maybe you know it, but you need to know it deeper. We're going to take some time to pray. So I have some friends that are coming along the sides of the room who will pray for you. And here's what they're going to pray. These friends, by the way, are um, nothing special. (laughs) Right, guys? Nothing special. We're just simply wanting to be God's people. And they're not going to pray incredible prayers of you of their own making. They're going to pray this. Peace be with you. As the Father sent Jesus... So Jesus is sending you, receive the Holy Spirit. That's what they're going to pray over you, those words. We're going to keep them on the screen so they can copy them. Take this moment to remind your soul that you are sent, that who you are today and where you are today and the sufferings you're walking through are not because you are forgotten, but they are because you are chosen. Is that okay, friends? Reach forward and grab communion. It's the hope we have. Jesus is our hope. Jesus, thank you for your body. It was broken for us to set us free from our spiritual Egypt. God, thank you that you've made a way for us to be made whole. And by eating your body and drinking your blood, we say yes to being your children and yes to being sent by you. In your own time, take communion and pray over it. And then if you would like prayer, we have people around. I've got some more people that are going to pop up, I think. And just take this time you and God to trust Him again.